Welcome everybody to another Pharmaceutical Sciences podcast. Uh, my name is Gina Martini. I'm the Chief Scientist for the Royal Pharmaceutical Society and I'm joined by here by my colleague uh, uh, Sarah Cahill. Um, my name is Sarah and I'm one of the Chief Pharmaceutical Officers Clinical Fellows based at the RPS this year. And we are delighted today to be joined by Dr Shirley Porkus, who is the Executive Director at the APPI Responsible Research, Medicine and Innovation. Welcome, Shirley. I hope all is well with you. Thank you. Great to be here today. Shirley, what we're going to do today, we're going to ask you a number of questions about the industry response and uh, to, to COVID-19 and to get a broader picture of how, it, how the industry has, has risen to, to the challenge. But first of all, can you just tell our listeners who you are, a bit about yourself, what your role is at the APBI? My name is Shirley Porkes. I'm the Director of Research, Medical and Innovation Policy at the ABPI. The ABPI um, represents the research-based pharmaceutical industry, and as such, we exist to make the UK the best place in the world to research, develop, and use new medicines. We represent companies of all sizes who invest in discovering the medicines of the future, and our members across the world absolutely recognise the important role that they have in responding to the COVID-19 crisis. We have three clear priorities. One is to research and develop new treatments of vaccines at pace for COVID-19. Second is to support the NHS in responding to the crisis, and that's by drawing on the breadth of expertise within our companies. And the third is absolutely focusing on securing the supply of medicines for patients. And our priority as ABPI is to help our members do this, working with government and other organisations to make sure our members have everything they need to fulfil those three obligations. I just want to note that Within our members, as you know, we have a number of pharmacists in every corner of the industry doing an amazing job. And I'd really like to give a, a shout out and pay a tribute to all the work that the pharmacists in our companies are doing, whether it's monitoring safety for medicines, making sure health professionals have the information they need about medicines, ensuring quality of medicines, or even volunteering and going back to the front line. I'd just like to say a big thank you. On behalf of all industrial pharmacists, and on behalf of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, uh, thank you. My next question is, COVID-19, I think, is forcing the research community to rethink how it does things. So what lessons can we learn from this episode of COVID-19? So I think in terms of what's changed, we've seen a shift in research from researching across all disease areas um, towards COVID-19. And that's absolutely right, whether it's focusing on treatments and vaccines for COVID-19 or pausing research so that health professionals can focus on frontline responses that they need to or for patient safety reasons. What we've seen for the research that is continuing is that we're seeing new ways of working. So we've seen new ways of speeding up research and designing trials in ways that are actually really good for patients and research overall. And what I'm really keen to do is then think about how we apply those new ways of working across all disease areas when the time is right to do so. And we've got some examples. So we're seeing the ability for people to have trialed medicines delivered to their home instead of coming into hospital or patients being monitored remotely instead of having to go to hospital. Both make it easier for patients in trials. But equally, we need to remember that what's really important is that we make sure the research is robust and that whatever answers come out are reliable. And it's really important with the 
intense pressure for speed that we don't lose that focus on reliability and robustness and we have to keep patient safety at the forefront. And I'll hand over to my colleague uh, Sarah Cahill. Sarah? Um, so hi Shirley, so I just have some questions for you as well. So there's been some concerns about the robustness of the medicine supply chains in the UK and reports of stockouts in pharmacies. Can you pass any comment and any perspectives on these concerns? Yeah, so as ABPI, we represent the uh, pharmaceutical companies with branded medicines. And for our members, they're having to respond to a dramatic increase in demand, not just in the UK, but globally. And we know some of our members have increased their manufacturing and supply by many fold for products that are having to be used in relation to, to COVID treatment. There have undoubtedly been some challenges for some classes of medicines. And However, generally speaking, the UK supply has held up well, and this is absolutely supported by the Department of Health and Social Care, MHRA and NHS, who have well-established shortage management system um, honed by uh, Brexit preparations. I think the DHSC is best placed to centrally monitor those demand requirements against supply, and especially ones involving classes of medicines or uh, groups of medicines supplied by various different suppliers. You know, so far we've done well to date, but we absolutely need to continue to work closely with the Department of Health and Social Care and the NHS as the situation develops. And did you ever think that pharma companies would work in a partnership to coordinate such a joined up response to the COVID-19 pandemic? What we've seen has been absolutely amazing. We know that pharma companies can work together because we've seen companies working in partnership um, with each other and other organisations every day. But what we're seeing now is an unprecedented level of collaboration. And you know, I've never seen anything like this before. Um, maybe to give some examples, the Global Trade Association, the IFPMA, is one of the partners to the Access to COVID Treatments Accelerator, which was launched last week. And they've committed to bring to the table industry unique expertise looking to find and scale up solutions. And we've got lots of other examples. Uh, for example, there are about 15 companies working with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. There's an alliance of about seven companies come together to develop plasma-derived therapy for COVID-19, AZ and Oxford University working together on a vaccine. And everywhere you look, there are companies working with academia, charities, and each other to do everything they can. Um, which is really, really positive to see. And you just mentioned Bill Gates there and his consortium with industry. Can you shed, shed any more light on this? So there are about 15 companies that are central to the Gates Foundation COVID-19 Therapeutics Accelerator. And its key role is to accelerate the development, manufacturing and delivery of vaccines, diagnostics and treatments. And one of the really impressive things about this is the commitment to share proprietary libraries of molecular compounds that already have some degree of safety and activity data. Um, and this is one example of uh, collaborations. And as we mentioned a few minutes ago, there are a number of others that are happening. And what's really key here is that we see a global collaboration so that companies can see exactly who they can collaborate with and coordinate the response best across the world. Surely, one of the reasons we've obviously invited the API for this series of interviews is that clearly with COVID-19 or the virus that causes COVID-19, there is no, there's no cure, there's no treatment. The only treatment is actually uh, supportive care. 
And obviously the industry is going to play a major role in finding cure and treatment. So can you give us a sense of what's actually happening in industry right now in terms of research and development to try and find a cure or to find an effective treatment? Yeah, this is an area, as, as you know, it's moving at an incredibly fast pace. And even now, the numbers that I'm about to give you will be out of date within, within a few hours, a few days. But to give you an idea of a scale, when we looked last week, overall, there were 288 drugs in development to either prevent or treat COVID-19, with about 1,300 trials taking place around the world. Looking at vaccines in particular, a paper released today showed that there were more than 100 confirmed vaccine projects around the world with eight in clinical trials. So lots of activity. And then to get a sense of how much is being developed by industry, if we think about the vaccines, a paper from last month showed that about three quarters of those that are being developed were being developed by industry, um, with the remainder being developed by academic, public sector and other not for profit organizations. I don't have the same breakdown for treatments, but I think it's fair to say there's a lot going on. And I think as well as industry developing things individually, as, as we've just talked about, there's a lot of collaborative effort going on as well to really give as a research community the best shot at the research as we can. Is there anything that's looking particularly hopeful or anything that, that's showing you a lot of promise at the moment? So I think there's there's a lot being tried in uh, trials at the moment, um, and it's we're starting to see preliminary um, thoughts on whether those uh, treatments are going to be are going to work or not. Um, but unfortunately, I do have to caution about getting too excited about headlines with potentially exciting trial results. We know the journey of a medicine or a vaccine to actually become licensed and available for patients is incredibly complex with a high failure rate. And what we need to make sure is that we have robust and reliable data that's been properly reviewed and shows that a treatment or a vaccine is safe and effective. And those are underway. And whilst we're getting preliminary readouts, there's nothing yet that has been fully approved for use. There's one treatment with emergency use authorization in the US, but it's still early days. And we just need to make sure that um, as we review the data, we have patient safety at the forefront. Mm, I would agree with that. I think it's the fast-paced nature of what's going on, I think, is is really, really interesting. And, and almost like on a daily basis, you know, uh, things change. And I, I've never experienced that before, surely. Have you? No, I mean, the, the scale and the pace is unprecedented. I know we're using that word a lot at the moment, but it, it's really true. But it's the key here is to make sure that we have the scale and the pace, but we also make sure we don't lose patient safety is one of the absolute key priorities here. Yeah, one may have issues about NSAIDs not being uh, advised for use for patients with COVID-19. And then you see a video saying uh, a particular NSAID can be used to treat COVID-19. And, you know, we have to really make sure you know, what we're dealing with and avoid what's fact versus fiction. OK, I'd like to hand over to, to Sarah again. Sarah? So you just mentioned the vaccine. Can you explain why it can take up to 18 months to develop a vaccine for covid so vaccine development and manufacturing are complex and time-consuming endeavours. And historically, we've seen it take actually between five and 18 years to take basic research and turn it into a usable vaccine. 
the research and development process from vaccines differs from the development of medicines that are intended for treatments. You know, vaccines are intended for use in healthy individuals as a preventative measure compared to other medicines aimed at the treatment of a condition. And so the risk benefit is different and the research needs to show that the vaccine can be effective and safe in, in that context. And it's not just about the R&D, it's also about the manufacturing, and it's, this is one of the most challenging parts of it, because depending on the type of vaccine and the type of disease, the manufacturing time can vary considerably from a few months to a number of years. And a lot of this effort is dedicated to quality control to ensure that every dose of a vaccine is the same as the one before and the one after it. And it's that complexity that means it may be a considerable period of time before we get a vaccine that can actually be available in such a large scale. But, you know, we have so many projects in progress around the world and we have so many people, companies, governments, organisations working as fast as they can to discover one and to scale up that manufacture and make the vaccine available but it will take some time to do that. Um, and my last question is, um, can you give our listeners an idea of how the industry is helping both the NHS and the government with respect to testing? So I think um, testing is an area where our companies have really, really stepped up. Testing is not a core business for most of our companies, but actually they're doing everything they can to support the national interest in this. So they've really listened and worked with government to understand what's needed and what they what they can offer. Um, and they're working night and day to support this. So, you know, the, the collaboration between AstraZeneca, GSK and the University of Cambridge, who've set up a new testing laboratory, is aimed at developing 30,000 tests a day, which is a really significant contribution. And other members that we've heard of have um, looked at uh, supporting it, the effort in other ways. We've also seen companies, um, not just on the testing, but also uh, working in are other areas that you wouldn't necessarily expect. So we've had companies 3D printing ventilator parts and um, repurposing laboratories to help with the testing. And we've had company colleagues coming forwards to volunteer, um, some of whom are clinical and gone back to the front line. Um, do you think that we'll see more manufacturing being invested back into the UK post-COVID-19? Uh, for example, more vaccine manufacturing or medical device production, because I think vaccine manufacturing has been highlighted as one of the, one of the issues in getting uh, vaccines to people uh, once a suitable has been discovered. What's your view and what's the APPI view? If we think about vaccines specifically with COVID, we've seen AstraZeneca teaming up with the University of Oxford to help scale up vaccine manufacturing should their vaccine get through R&D and be successful. We do want to see manufacturing in this country, but I think with more than 12,000 medicines used by the NHS, it would be impossible for the UK to be in a position to manufacture all the medicines it needs. And actually, our manufacturers over decades have built resilient and robust global supply chains to make sure that patients in the UK and all around the world have ongoing access to medicines. And that geographic diversity is a key to success of the global supply chains. And it enables manufacturers to make adjustments as needed to ensure stability of supply and avoid potential shortages and disruptions.
Any more final thoughts about APPI's view on industry, COVID-19 that our, our, our listeners may find of interest? The industry has been very keen to step up and is stepping up, but we know this is a situation that's going to continue to evolve and we need to keep working together, together with organisations such as the RPS, together with government, together with the NHS and to meet the challenges, the new challenges as they come along in partnership. And, you know, that's not just something for the UK, that's something that's happening globally. Um, I'm really pleased with what industry's done to date, but this is a situation that's going to continue to evolve and um, we'll need to, to be working closely together for some time to come. I agree. And I think we're very, very lucky in the UK to have uh, a good life sciences infrastructure, great universities, and some great uh, drug companies like, like AstraZeneca and GSK and many more. I think we're blessed with a really rich ecosystem. And hopefully, you know, the industry and life sciences and academia will work together and will find a cure for this disease. And, and surely before we, we, we finish, are there any other collaborations that are worth noting or are exciting? Yeah, I think one that's worth mentioning is a European initiative under the Innovative Medicines Initiative, which has put out a call for consortia to accelerate the development of therapies and diagnostics. And this is a they're looking for public private partnerships. And we know that there were 144 proposals submitting and we're expecting the results of that call out to be announced this month. So I think it's one worth watching. Shirley, it's been wonderful talking to you today. And on behalf of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, thank you for acknowledging the role that pharmacists have been, have been making. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.